Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. G'day team, welcome to your Thursday Afternoons with Staffy Show, great to have your company today. Uh, what have we got coming up? Very shortly, Andrew Gordy, News Hub sports reporter on the feature piece last night on Paddy Gow's Got Issues. Um, interesting format of a show, actually, they, they have two subjects and they address one, then they go to subject B, then back to subject A, subject B. But there was a lot to unpick out of that and I was just thinking there's probably a lot went on that didn't make the show and Andrew Gordy did all of the legwork, um, so we'll get him on shortly. Mark Ferguson, we had him on pre the last golf major, a long-time bookmaker. He's very similar to me, sort of, actually. Bookmaker up there, I think it was for 365. Um, and he also hosts the Betferg 101 podcast. And um, I'm going to go on his next podcast, actually, which will be fun. Uh, we'll talk through the odds for the US Golf Open. And also his number one passion, actually, is cricket. So we'll talk about the Ashes with him as well um, and he loves it from the betting angle so he does a lot of stats I know what it takes to do all of that so looking forward to chatting to him he'll be just after one just after two Tony Johnson as we do each Thursday two big semi-finals of course this weekend Chiefs Brumbies Crusaders Blues Crusaders Blues but we're going to address the first thing um, for Midday Madness, our first hour, really keen to get uh, the talk back on it, your texts on 8833, Tampa Bay Post text machine. And I really liked the simplicity of the title of the show, Is Rugby Dying New Zealand? And they spoke to a wonderful woman who looks after junior rugby and has done so for a long time at Ponies, at Ponsonby, um, about the numbers that are dropping. I had a couple of surprising things, that the number of... Uh, females playing the game is also dropping. Obviously, I hadn't done my research. I thought it was growing. It's dropping. Um, boys and men playing, it's dropping. So much to pick through. So we're going to get the man who did a wonderful job, did all the legwork, travelled the length and breadth. He'll have as much knowledge about it as me, having gone out to speak to the people in the streets. Andrew Gordy from News Hub. Uh, fantastic Fantastic show last night, Gords. Uh, congratulations and welcome in. 
Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks for thanks for list, uh, listen, uh, listening, watching. Um, yeah, glad that you guys enjoyed it. It was um, it was a big piece of work to to put together. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fundamentally, uh, like you mentioned, it's it's a question that I I just find people are asking more and more. You know, are are we falling out of love with rugby as a nation? And I think it was really uh, an interesting experience to speak to a lot of people across different levels of the game to find out you know, what, what some of those issues are. And, you know, the reality is, Staff, that rugby, and, and actually not just rugby, lots of sports are facing different challenges uh, in 2023 than they were, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Rugby is certainly one that is facing some, I think, rather unique and complex issues here in New Zealand. Um, you can't cover them all uh, in a one-hour show. Um, but, yeah, we certainly tried to have a crack at, a, you know, a few of the areas that we thought were really standing out head and shoulders above the rest. Personally, 10 years ago, I loved rugby. Today, I like rugby. And I think it's important people are falling out of love with rugby. doesn't mean they have fallen completely out of love. They, they want it back. Um, what, what were some of the key resonating things that were common in the different sectors of, of stakeholders, rugby fans? What, was there a common thread through all of them? Mate, I actually think that one of the biggest issues that is out there at the moment is that rugby has really lost the narrative. But that doesn't mean that they've necessarily lost the fan altogether. Mm. Like a lot of there, are, there is a lot of kind of false narrative out there. I think about that people aren't watching, people aren't going to games. That's actually not true. It's fundamentally not true, mate. And we tried to put some of that across last night. And look, I, I know that. Um, we, we can't cover off every franchise and things like that. But, look, there has clearly been a lot of narrative, especially on social media. You will have seen it. We've all seen it. Like, there is a huge rise in chat support and everything around the Warriors and, and wider, I suppose, talk about the NRL as a product. Now, I don't mind saying to you, mate, like, I'm, a, I'm an NRL fan. I consume a lot of NRL products. Mm. Um, I think their product is outstanding. It's world-leading, um, and that goes right from what's happening on the field to the off-field product, I consume all of the, the programs and everything that goes around it, like NRL 360, like great show, watch it yep. all the time. It's, it's great, like theatre um, for, for, your, for your average fan. I think there's work to be done in that space for, for rugby because that's a key part, like having constantly something to talk about. You know, with Super Rugby, and I know that this is something that the, the Super Rugby Commission intends to touch on, but we need more talking points you know, you look at the biggest talking point in Super Rugby in recent memory was Bowden Barrett moving from the Hurricanes to the Blues. And, like, remember the storyline about that. Remember the niggle. Remember when, you know, he got beaten on the outside at Eden Park and Colby got around him. And that, those are the sorts of images that create water cooler talk. There is not enough of that stuff in Super Rugby. We don't have enough player movement. Um, we don't have enough controversies or... or um, you're just interesting things for fans to engage in. Like, when a Super Rugby squad is announced, we know who's going to be in it. Um, when when, when the, it comes to this stage of the season, we knew. We could have told everyone at the start of the season which teams were going to feature in the latter stages of the competition. And that's where it needs to change up. It needs to pull some levers, dip into some mechanisms that are going to make this a fundamentally more interesting product because the people are there. They want to engage with rugby, but... I think that this competition, and that's a joint responsibility for both New Zealand and Australia, they need to make this a competition and, and a sport that's easier to love. Yeah, I, I, 
I took what Mark Robinson. I, I I'm always a bit disappointed because Mark Robinson always says, like, we're not in trouble. Our engagement's good. Our digital stuff's up, and and viewing figures are good. Um, but I think that's all of which is true, mate. Yeah, that's yeah, all true. But it, that doesn't mean there's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for putting that into a sentence. I was struggling to say, and it's like, and and it always seems to fall into, and we have it with our talkback and our listeners. It always becomes becomes a rugby versus league thing. Now I love both. I love the Warriors. I support the Hurricanes. I love Manawatu more than anything. Can't wait for the NPC. But the gap is closing. Um, I've always thought rugby league is a better TV game. And rugby is a better in-person game, but I'm not going to rugby games in person. I am going to the Warriors in person, and it and and it's changed. And I th- I think they should be closer aligned. Let's do double headers. Let's let's yep. appeal to people like me. And if the Warriors were playing anyone um, before or after the Blues Hurricanes, line me up. Line me up. hundred percent, mate. hundred percent. And like the. I actually think that if you were to speak to Andrew Hoare and Cameron George about that, I think they would love that idea. I'd be, I'd be stunned if they didn't think that was a great idea. The issue you're going to have there is clearly around scheduling. But there might be instances throughout the season where that might be achievable. You know, is it, is it really beyond the realms of response, uh, you know, sorry, uh, possibility that, you know, you could have either, a, well, it would probably need to be a Saturday evening kind of prospect, I suppose, and it's probably the Warriors first. You know, there is a time slot there that they can play on a, on a Saturday evening before, you know, the Blues and whoever else might kick off, um, you know, in the, in the later kickoff time for, you know, for Sky audiences. But it's hard to align those two things. I, like, personally, I would love to see an Eden Park doubleheader, um, the Warriors and the Blues both playing um, on, on a Sunday afternoon at Eden Park. That would be outstanding. And who, tell me, that who wouldn't pay mm. a little bit extra as well to fill out? They, they would fill that stadium, I've got no doubt. The issue you've got, though, is, and that's something I definitely want to touch on, is Eden Park is a huge problem for the Blues because they, they have, you know, the, the facts tell you that between those two clubs, the Warriors and the Blues, the Blues have actually managed to attract the biggest crowd this season between the two, the two clubs, I suppose. Um, but when you see 23-odd thousand at Eden Park, people are making, they're shaping their perception of fan experience from the, from the comfort of their own home. They're looking at that and going, the stands look empty, uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like a full stadium. I can see lots of empty seats, which they're then leading themselves to believe it's a crap fan experience. They're obviously not having a good time. It's not a good time going to the Blues. That's not correct. Like, I know from myself, like, obviously, we went along to the Blues Hurricanes game for our investigation. And look, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I'm not someone who goes to lots of Super Rugby games. Mm. But I was genuinely surprised. Like, it was a much better atmosphere than watching it on television would have would lead me to believe mm. and i think it's almost like a bit of a case of like don't knock it till you try it because i think there's people who watch it on tv and just jump to the conclusion i'm not prepared to try it because it doesn't look good now i'd ask you staff if the warriors were playing at eden park every week and the blues were playing in a i won't say mount smart stadium necessarily but let's say they were playing in a 23 to 25 000 seat stadium i think our perceptions of fan experience of warriors versus blues 
would be very, very different. Bang on, bang on. Because I think I think the Warriors have had three sellouts. They probably could have sold another five. They might have got to 30. But you you don't take them to Eden Park and, and then cross your fingers. You be, Like when people say Warriors have sellouts, the Blues don't. Well, the Blues need to sell twice as many tickets and that's not going to happen. You put up the averages and the Warriors have higher averages, but in – uh, in an individual game, the Blues have had a bigger fan base and all of that. Here I go, going rugby versus league again. But there's, there's so many – I've always thought too, like the scary thing for me, Gords, is 10 years' time with all these juniors dropping away, uh, participation numbers, um, kids' parents don't want them to get hurt. There's so much more around concussion. Um, it's a much higher intensity game now with long-term injuries, etc., etc., etc. So there's a multifaceted threat here. Fan engagement, um, rules, uh, the weakness of Australia. I was talking to Ian Foster uh, two or three weeks ago and he said the big problem here is with, with the South Africans gone, we're just playing each other all the time now. That's all we're doing. It's New Zealanders playing New Zealanders in meaningful games. And I think that's why we were exposed against Ireland last year and Argentina last year because we didn't have experience of changing things up. So many different pieces in this pie yeah you're absolutely right mate and it's again i just come back to the point like rugby at at every level of the game is facing increasingly more complex challenges and and you're absolutely right in terms of the the departure of the south african teams from the super rugby competition has has probably meant something uh, a big change i think for our players and what they're whether that's preparing them um adequately to test rugby and, and things like that um I don't think personally that that's the most important thing. Like, the All Blacks in this country is still a strong product, okay? Like, they, the, the people still buy tickets to the game. They're a premium product. It's still a very strong brand. And I know there's been a lot of talk, you know, especially around in the wake of the Silver Lake deal around the All Blacks brand. Personally, I don't think that's where the, the issue exists. Super Rugby is where the issue exists because that's the week-in, week-out competition that really does, I think, personally shape national sentiment around how we feel about rugby mm. separate rugby from the all blacks for a minute because they are two like sort of fundamentally different things you know the all blacks are the brand and yes they represent our national identity but in terms of actually playing the game of rugby and that comes back to like do i want to consume the product week in week out do i want to watch games do i want my son or daughter to play the game you know are they are, are people still registering to play this game and turn up on saturday mornings and and that sort of thing and yep you're right we pointed out um, and our numbers last night, obviously, that were provided by New Zealand Rugby, there has been a drop-off. And I'm sure, you know, without question, some of that has been affected by COVID. And I think the, the numbers that um, are, are eventually made available for this year's registrations will be equally interesting, I, I think. But there's something else that we didn't get, a, get time to touch on last night. Now, this is purely anecdotal, but I know we highlighted the example of Ponsonby Rugby Club, for example, and their mm. numbers are down. What I'm hearing anecdotally is that numbers in the heartland regions are up. And that's where perhaps there's a more, another complexity. Like, you know, you, you think about metropolitan areas. It's like a school. It's like, a, think of it like a secondary school. If you go to a small secondary school, the number of choices that are available to you, the number of subjects that are available are, are smaller, right? Because you simply don't have enough teachers and things like that. But if you go to a big high school, there's lots of subjects available. It's like that with... with sporting or, or I suppose pastime um, options that are available to you in a big city as opposed to a small small city uh, or a small town you know that sort of thing like I'm sure there's lots of small towns in this in this country that probably don't think there's any problem with rugby because 
all the kids play, mm. you know, whereas in, in, in the metropolitan areas, like especially like central Auckland, there are so many other options and there are so many other challenges facing parents um, in terms of whether they can get their children to training or, you know, a, a myriad sort of things stacked. So, again, it, it just comes back to more complex issues, I think, around around attraction to the game, registration to their junior level. Um, but, look, do I think that we're going to see a knock-on effect in 10, 20 years' time, uh, you know, sort of the, the All Blacks falling away because there aren't enough kids playing the game? I still personally think that there's a pretty reasonable number there. You know, 74,000 kids are playing rugby in this country, and and I still think that there's, um, you know, that the kids that are still feel really passionate about this game and the, and the kids who, who want to play uh, are still playing, right? And it's not those ones that are, they're losing, I don't think. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily jump to the conclusion that we're going to see a weakening necessarily of the All Blacks. I think it will be to do with other factors, like what you pointed out before in terms of, uh, you know, not playing South African teams week in, week out, that sort of thing, and, and being able to cope with the physicality um, of Test rugby. Last thing, and it was my big takeout of last night, and it was with a smile on my face when the talk of New Zealanders playing for Australian franchises still being eligible for the All Blacks and Mark Robinson welcoming that question. Doesn't look like Aussie want to go down from five teams to three because the, the, the rooster that Hamish McLennan is, is he's like, that'd be a win for New Zealand, so we're not going to let them have that win. But it would up the... It would up the skill level of the Australian teams. It would make it much more interesting, I think, for all rugby fans. Um, you, you suggested, I think, Artie, you know, he could go and play for the Brumbies, but the Hurricanes <laughs> wouldn't be happy about it. But New Zealanders <laughs> would have to embrace, look, we're going to lose Stephen Perifeta. We're going to lose Sima Penifina or someone someone like that to, to make the whole comp better. Sounds like Mark Robinson's open to it. Ha- do you think it can happen, and how soon? Oh, I think it absolutely has to happen, Steph. And I know that there's been a lot of different options talked about, about, about you know, how do we make this competition more even. I know that the idea of a draft system is very attractive, especially to people who are fans of American sport. I think there's some challenges in executing a draft plan, especially, you know, sort of younger players, like rookie players coming through. I think there's, there's just... Um, a couple of factors, like the logical point to have a draft system would probably be for kids who are, who are coming out of high school, and I just think that's a bit too young mm. um, to be then inserting them into into a super rugby situation. The logical point for a draft system would probably be when kids are about 20 years old. And the issue I think that you're going to have there is they come out of high school, then they enter their super rugby franchise's sort of development system, and then basically you're saying to those franchises, like, you're probably going to lose your, your player in the draft now. And the issue with that is that discourages super rugby franchises from investing in their development system. So I think there's an issue there that, that is, and that's not really what you want, is it? I think for fundamentally, and that should be for, for teams on both sides of the Tasman, I think you should be invested in, in developing your own players and have the opportunity to see that player come through and, and have a successful career with your franchise. I think where, it's, where the change has to happen is the idea of a salary cap system um, and, and the ability to transfer like the big names and the big talent between franchises, because I think there's a couple of knock-on effects there. It creates great na- um, narrative, obviously, for the fan, the, that idea. And I know I picked Artie last night, but you could pick any player going to 
going to another franchise overseas, whether it's Damian McKenzie going to the Rebels or whatever, that will inevitably help spread the talent, right? And a salary cap system would definitely help that. Um, and I think that the, the example that I always have top of mind, mate, is, is Richie Moanga, actually, because... Oh, we lost them. So, you know, set up their family. Um, oh, sorry. No, got uh, you back. Got, me? got you back. Start again at right, Richie cool. Moanga. Um, sorry, yeah. The, the, the example that I keep thinking of is Richie Moanga because he's a guy who really, he's, he's in the prime of his career, and we're losing him to Japan. And I don't begrudge him that decision at all because, you know, if you've got a chance to set up your family and it sounds like he's going to be earning a lot of money, um, fair play to him. No, no doubt about that whatsoever. But I just wonder, staff, if there was a situation where you could say to Richie Mwanga, do you know what? You've got an opportunity to go and play for, let's say it's the Waratahs or the Reds or the Brumbies or the Rebels, and they're going to offer you twice as much money as you're earning at the Crusaders. Now, it's not maybe the three times as much that you're going to be earning over in Japan, but the difference for him is then like, right, do I want to accept a little less money and still be able to play for the All Blacks and achieve what I want to do with the All Blacks while staying sort of in this part of the, of the world? I think that would be a really interesting sort of extra thing for players to think about. And I think anything that they can do to help keep those marquee players within the competition is, is a massive win. And again, it's sort of, that would bring us closer to what we've got with the NRL, you know, leading players, bouncing around different clubs, the, the constant conjecture or, or speculation about, is this player going to move to that club and things like this competition desperately needs something like that. So I think it's, yeah, it's imperative for Mark Robinson, Hamish McLean and the powers that be uh, to come up with a system very, very quickly uh, that moves us more in line with what professional sport around the world is. Mm. Brilliant, Gords. I've taken up way more time than I might have indicated. I would really appreciate it and a fantastic show last night. Uh, congrats. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. There is Andrew Gordy from um, News Hub Sport. Um, I'm sure that's on the TV3 now. You can replay and, and watch it on demand. Give us a call on your thoughts. 0800 150 We'll take your calls after this. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven is the number. Uh, the board's clear, so you can ring up and you can get through or text us double eight double three. Jamie Wall, the great man, has texted and said, "To be fair, the Blues and Warriors were actually going to do a double header at Eden Park in twenty twenty, but COVID happened." And the thing is, I think um, because the Warriors are in an Australian run competition, that would have le- less flexibility to change times etc so it would have to be New Zealand rugby and super rugby they'd have to fit in around the Warriors but it's not about point scoring and who's more important I I think just make it happen and expose the Warriors fans to a great game of rugby expose the Warriors fans uh, sorry the Blues fans to a good game of league and like become Auckland sports fans rather than Warriors fans and Blues fans I'm just using that as an example team um Make it happen and then make it in a big New Zealand derby in the Super Rugby. So if it's Blues Chiefs, the Chiefs fans can come up. The Hurricanes fans, the Highlanders fans can come up and get a double header. I think it would be a – it's a start. It's not a solution. It's a start. I think that would be brilliant. Um, 
We've got a couple of calls on the line. I want to give you a fair airing. So we'll take news right now. It's only going to be for a couple of minutes. We'll come back. Tom, Graham, anyone else wants to call? 0800 150 11. We'll get your calls very soon. Well, listen, Buster. You better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Uh, let's get straight to the phones, 0800-150-811. Tom, g'day, Tom. Thanks for holding on. Uh, good afternoon, Staffy. Yeah, listening to Gordy, I watched the program last night on uh, Paddy Gower and listening to what Smithy had to say this morning and with your interview with Gordy, um, I'm really an American fan and love the draft system. Mm. And I was thinking how I could work for rugby. And I was thinking, you know, we've got to stop these school kids going to rugby league and the reason they pick up contracts quite early because they all get agents when they're around 15 or 16. But I always thought maybe if they could go into a draft at 18, be aligned to a super franchise, mm-hmm. um, that they could join when they're 20. But for the next two years from 18 to 20, they play club rugby and or NPC if they're good enough and then go off to their super franchise. So we at least get these this young talent um, signed up kept in rugby and we will get to see how good they are for a couple of years before they go away if they're an Australian one or a New Zealand one. Yeah, what I, do you think? I quite liked the early model which which is similar to that in that um, all of the CEOs or head coaches would go to NZR headquarters in Wellington and they could protect I think it was either 22 or 23 players from within the Hurricanes region and then they had their other we would like to haves. And then it went round the table. Right, your first pick, then you, then you, then you. Never televised. It would have made great TV. Um, and then there, there was back, backwards and forwards. But it did have the base of Hurricanes from the Hurricanes catchment, Highlanders from Highlanders catchment, etc. Probably wouldn't work nowadays, but I love the idea of shared talent. I always bemoaned when the Crusaders had about five almost all black quality first fives and the other franchises had none. Um, just spread it for the betterment of the, of the whole game and the competition itself and make Super Rugby important again. Yep. Did you ever see that Kiwi Clubster form when they uh, have the drafts and they do their dealings yes. before they're on the clock? Yeah. That was a great movie. Yeah. I, and it's the theatre and the narrative that we don't have in rugby that the mm. other sports have. Yep. Mm. Good man. All right. Good oh, stuff, God. Tom. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. We go to Graham, potentially in wider Upper. Upper heart, Steph. Oh, <laughs> I got it wrong again, face. Look at me go. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, mate? All right? I'm very well. It's a story. Hey, um, dear, just listening to Andrew Gordy, um, when he said um, how COVID could be affecting the numbers. I was thinking, how could that be? But I think I've hit the nail on, uh, on the head um, in a small area. The international students that aren't coming in to study anymore, staff. You know, like the Japanese young fellas mm. that were all keen as to come here and play rugby and all that. Um, I know they're all wearing NBA gear and all that, which supports the uh, the strength of basketball. But the international students, there must be a few thousand there that are missing from the um, numbers playing in New Zealand. Yeah, you're right there. Actually, a lot of the international students, they're a big contingent. I think they're starting to come back now. But yeah, that's that. That's yeah. potentially a, a drop-off in numbers, you're right. Yeah, because, um, you know, I don't know what the number might be, and if there's 100,000 students here and 30,000 of them wanted to play sport, that's, uh, that's quite, a, quite a slice. Mm, mm. Geez, you're a smart man. Mm. Oh, 
Yeah. Good on you, mate. Thank you. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Uh, Mikey in Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. Oh, hi, Steffi. I, I look, I'll admit I didn't watch the program last night because I'm suffering a little bit of, just like last year, was foster fatigue. <laughs> I'm suffering from this whole NRL is just an amazing thing and rugby's rubbish and all that sort of carry-on. Um, it's starting to really grate me. Um, admittedly, rugby does have massive issues, um, that's for sure, and I'll probably, I'll probably have tonight go and re-watch that, pro- that program. But did I hear correctly that um, women's numbers were down? They were down. Yeah, they did a national. Um, he did a national. I think men's rugby. You're going to have to excuse me here, but it was just something like from 2017 to last year, men's numbers were down 14 or 18 percent, and women's numbers were down 11. And they went to Ponsonby Rugby Club, which is, I think, the oldest one in Auckland, and their their boys' numbers were down 250, uh, down from. I don't. I, I just can't remember. It was something like eight hundred to five fifty, something like that. And the girls' numbers were down as well. And in fact, they had to get rid of one of their women's teams, which I was alarmed. I thought numbers were up for girls, but Gordy's just mentioned that in the regions, the numbers are fine. It's just in the metropolitans they're not. Yeah. So if if if, if I or you are running a company, and the company's not doing so well. Are you blaming the people working for you <laughs> or does the blame have to go on who's running the company? Because I thought there was a golden goose, was there not, last year? Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest sports stories of last year was women's rugby. And now we find that numbers are decreasing. I'm flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah. It blows my mind that, um, and by the sounds of it, you definitely have to watch this program now that, Mark Robinson was on, and it sounds as though everything, yeah, there's a few things we do, but everything's kind of okay. It's not okay. And, it, and they're running the bloody show. And that's what pisses me off a little bit. And the other thing, uh, you know, talking about draft systems, um, that's not going to happen. Well, I'll rephrase that. Canterbury and Crusaders won't want that to happen because they have an excellent development program down here. Mm. And they pour a lot of money into it to retain people like, because Brody went. <laughs> Imagine having him down here and uh, Antonina Brown, etc. And it was those reasons that those guys went is why they developed this program was one of the primary reasons. So whether there was some kind of thing like like in English football, where you transfer, like like you're saying, we had like what five first fives, which yeah. is annoying for everybody. Mm. Um, some sort of transfer fee, something like that. Yep. I don't know, but then you're getting into more. More professionalism and private equity. I'm still trying to work out how Mark Ellis can own part of uh, the Otago Highlanders and how does that actually work and how much influence do you have running a club now for private equity. It's, it's like a patchwork of things that we've got going on at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think the Mark Ellis thing, I think it's about 11% between five of them, 20 grand each or something. It's not, it's not massive. Um, but no. I, I, I want to ask you a challenging question, Mikey. A challenging question um, without the eye patch. Is it good for New Zealand rugby that the Crusaders win year after year after year after year and the Highlanders, who are just down the road, really, really battle almost for existence? Is that good for New Zealand rugby? I can answer that quite honestly because, as you well know, I put my eye patch on here and there, but not all the time. Mm. So, no, for for the competition as a whole, it's not. But the one thing when I hear people ring up about that, my challenge is just be bloody better. 
Auckland should have beaten us last year, but they did not, did they? Mm. And they haven't been um, great for the better part of two decades, I think, or maybe the last couple of years, with the greatest catchment, probably the greatest IP, all that sort of scenario, and they have not delivered. Um, yeah, I'd so say no, that's, that's, a failing, that's a failing of Auckland as much as a success yeah. for Canterbury, I would say. Yeah, so yes, it's not great for the competition, but as a Cantabrian, obviously, I'm not going to apologise for winning. No, 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 not, not asking you to, not asking you to. You, you know, and, and if, if, um, if, for example, we get through this weekend, um, which we will, and, the, and perhaps the Chiefs get through and the, perhaps the Chiefs beat us, awesome, well done, I think that's fantastic for the game. But the problem is not just the Crusaders winning all the time. The problem is, I think Gordy said, it's the same three or four teams in the semi-finals mm. every bloody year. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah, look, I'm not going to tune in and watch the Crusaders play the Force or the Rebels or the Reds or the Waratahs. I don't have to. I don't, why am I going to tune in and watch that? If the Force and the Rebels have got Cameron Suafua, Stephen Perifeta, Braden Yossi, I'm watching. I'm watching. Yeah, and yeah, and I do like the idea of what Gordy was saying that you know maybe some of these um, private Japanese clubs or yep. or someone say some one of our players goes play for the Waratah. Look, if you're in the Super competition, then you're eligible for you should be eligible for the All Blacks because you're literally in the competition. Yes. That we pick out All Blacks from anyway. Well, when you watch and it, when you rewatch last night, Mark Robinson said he's open to it and he think it needs to happen. That was my big. Big tick. Mikey, we have to escape. We've got lots of calls. Yeah. Uh, thanks, buddy. All good, mate. Cheers, mate. We'll take one more before the breakout. Good man. Two days in a row, Dave from Blackpool. G'day, David. Yeah, yeah. Good, buddy. I'm loving on me. There you are, mate. You're, ta- you're pushing the boat out two days in a row. I love it. <laughs> hey, I was listening to the breakfast, boys, and I was left with a couple of things. Um, so just. One is the price. Yeah. Price of entry, and another thing that, and this goes back to the conversation we had a couple of days ago, I don't believe that Super Rugby has ever got that tribalism thing happening. I think it did early, early, early. Like when I was a big yeah. man of a two fan and I had a Super Rugby team called the Hurricanes and the first game was in Palmy, I was all about it, but it's drifted away from me now because that's just, there's no, there's no regional... Um, Compulsion from the from the Super Rugby teams to pick from within their region. That's my point. If you, if, like I've lived remotely um, since being back in New Zealand, and if you're not in the four big cities, um, it's hard to align. Like, for me, it's hard to align myself with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I was I played age group rugby all the way through. Blah blah blah. And the last time I saw the Crusaders, I think Isaac Ross was playing for, um, and Norm Maxwell, yep. Dan Carter made his debut. You know, do you understand what I'm saying about the tribal thing? Do oh, look, I do. I do. Like, one of the Hurricanes' best players this year, Cam Roygaard, is from Counties. Right, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's not a good thing or a bad thing. That's my observation. If he was Wellington born and bred or Hawke's Bay or Manawatu and he's playing or Wanganui or Wairapa Bush, whatever, and he's into the Hurricanes, it's almost like NPC is intermediate 
and Super Rugby's high school. But I'm more connected with NPC, and I think a big part of that is the tribalism. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yep. Good on no, you, Dave. I totally agree. We've got a scoop. Thanks okay, heaps for the call. Yeah. Love hearing from you. We'll take a break. Zay, you hold on there. You'll be first up next. The information to make your day on the punt are men. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. A lot of texts we will get to, but first of all, the life members called up Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Hello, Zaid. I can see his name. I can't hear his voice. You're in the bush. You're in the jungle. Hello? Oh, it's a dodgy line, Zaid. Hello? Yeah, I've got you now. Okay. Um. Yeah, what I was going to say is that there's so many different options for Auckland, right? For young kids, you've got cricket, you've got basketball, you've got soccer, you've got um, rugby league, you know, you've even got what MMA now, you've got um, jiu-jitsu, you've got so many um, netball, you know, there's so many different options before, you, other than rugby, there's tennis, you know, you can play whatever you want in Auckland, that's kind of why the numbers are probably down, because compared to these smaller places, there's so many different options of sports in Auckland. Yeah, you can add in things like water polo and, and, and swimming and badminton. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the choices are huge. Yeah, and that's probably why the numbers are down as well. And then another problem I've got about Super Rugby is why does 12 teams go on to eight? That doesn't, make, that doesn't work. I'm with you. Yeah, we talked about that that's a bit big, yesterday. That's, yeah. that, that's the biggest problem this year. You look at NRL, right? 17 teams gone to eight. Mm. And the thing is, um, uh, the, the main reason why NRL is real popular th- as, as well is it's more competitive. Well, look, look at the Melbourne Storm. They got pumped by the Cowboys a week ago. I know. You, you never know. Like, <clears throat> who's at the bottom? Yeah. St. George, are they at the bottom? Um, and they beat Souths in the weekend, who are probably second it's, or third favourite to win the title. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there, 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 that's that's the difference is that it's more competitive. I mean, I reckon the best game in Super Rugby this year was the Crusaders losing to the Drua. That was the best game all year. I reckon. <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic game. Because it was game. an upset. No, no one was predicting it. Yeah, yeah, upsets are and real. And the Drua beating the Canes. No, no one predicted that. Yeah, that's what I mean. They were upsets. That's what Super Rugby doesn't have enough of is enough upsets. You know what I mean? I do know. That's what why. Mean. That's why the best thing. I don't want to be. I don't. I, I don't want to be biased, but I'm going to be a little bit. The best thing would be the Blues being the Crusaders, because at least the Crusaders wouldn't be in the final again, and the Chiefs win or the Brumbies win, so we'd see someone different in the final. Yeah, imagine a, a Brumbies Blues final. That that yeah. that'd be cool. And I, you know, I'm not. I'm not wishing ill of any team, but um, it, me neither. But I was just saying that it, it would be better if the Crusaders are not in the final, because like you said, them winning the Super Rugby every year. We stop watching it because we know, oh, okay, well, we'll get to the final. We know the Crusaders, yeah, they'll be in the final again next year. Mm. That's why next year Super Rugby might be a lot more competitive, right? Because there's three different coaches coming in. And there's a lot of players leaving and leaving to go overseas. So that might make it more competitive. You know what I mean? Yep, next year Super will be good, I think, because a lot of change. Yeah. And because not much changes in Super Rugby. Players stay where they are. Same teams keep winning. 
But no, nah, all good then. Have a good rest of the show. Thank you. Cheers, Aid. Good on you. We'll get to some texts in a mo. Getting you through your workday one hour at a time. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. text about rugby versus league I don't want it to be rugby versus league and then there were people out there that want it to be rugby versus league um, they can live harmoniously uh, unknown text Steve Price, Kevin Campion playing for the Warriors added to the tribal interest so not sure about your Royguard example it seems weak uh, I was just saying when Super Rugby started I was very invested in the Hurricanes and if I had to pick a team it's still them because that's sort of my region I spent a long long time in Wellington um, but when it very first started it was all the NPC teams and that that united the Wellington Manawa to Hawke's Bay Wairarapa Wanganui Taranaki in that time as well and it was those guys um, but now with players from outside the Hurricanes region I think it makes it harder for tribalism but Maybe that's me, and I'm older. Um, I've been around since it very first started. Maybe the 15, 16 year olds, they do feel the tribalism because they didn't experience that as well. G'day, staff from Dez. Uh, the game is broken. Super rugby and NRL comps are chalk and cheese. Most super games are foregone conclusions, and there are far too many stoppages. There's not enough ball and play, tickets, food, beverage too expensive for families at inconvenient times. A draft wouldn't work because the on-field action isn't compelling. Uh, the irony is a draft would work in NRL because the product is better. There's more engagement and lots of debate. NRL 360 versus the breakdown. Rest my case, Des. There's so many stories around the NRL, and even Gordy mentioned NRL 360. I love that show. There's just talking points up the wazoo. Uh, Paul says, why would the Warriors want to help the Blues? I just think they can help each other. I, I think make it, using that example, make it an Auckland thing and you don't have to choose one or the other. You can choose both. I just think you choose both. Both good teams, both both good fan bases. Uh, Henry says, make it 16 teams, add the top four Japanese teams. I'm with you there. Uh, open a transfer market until four weeks, uh, sorry, until week four to six in the season. Play each team once, alternating home and away each year. Possibly promotion relegation for the bottom Japan team to keep the ones who missed out happy. And something to strive for and stick with an eight-team playoff. Henry, I like it. Uh, from Junior, <clears throat> Staffy, agree with you. Bring in a cap and a draft, which will help spread the talent. The beauty of sport is witnessing... An ongoing contest. I'm sick of watching one-sided contests. I'd love for the Highlanders to win more often. Australia and New Zealand would both benefit from cross-exposure of the talent. We retain our high-profile talent and more compensation. Uh, with more compensation, and Australian teams would be more competitive 
as a result. <clears throat> Just think about when the Reds won Super Rugby. Geez, they with Quade Cooper and Will Guinea and David Croft. Uh, they, they were such a good team and Big Kev, what's his real name? James Horble. That was great. And when you, you feared the Reds, I don't fear any Australian team. And fear is part of engagement for me. Uh, numbers in rugby were dropping well before COVID from Mike. Staffy, the Super Rugby competitions will remain a dud as long as it as long as it's used as an extended trial for national teams and is mandated to give players the best uh the best players rest. Oh, to give their best players rest. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that. That needs to be there's a lot of things. And it sounds like with the Super Rugby Commission that was touched on last night. Um, they're going to address a number of things. Uh, alarming that there isn't one already, but they're going to set one up. Staff, the mind-boggling comment by Mark Robinson on last night's show was the f- was his feedback is that all the criticism is regarded as fan engagement. I guess by definition it is fan engagement, but they do cop a lot of criticism. Um, I think they do have finally got their hand up They've lost. They've lost. They have lost the public. They have. They can work on their narrative. Um, in fact, I got. I got a message today from someone who worked for another media company saying they've been trying to get Mark Robinson on their show for two months and don't get anywhere. You try for Cam George for ten minutes and you get him, or you get an, a date when he can. Um, that's just one example. Again, I don't want league versus rugby, but. Um, lots of areas to improve. Last one for now. Staffy, great interview with Andrew Gordy. Let's just enjoy both codes and go the Mighty Blues. I'm with you, Ken. I do love both codes. I can't wait for the Super Rugby semi-finals. But I've probably watched, I have definitely watched less Super Rugby this year than any other season in my life. And it's it's rules, it's engagement, it's one-sided. It's know what's going to happen before they play. I don't know what's going to happen before the NRL. I even got to a stage when the All Blacks were so dominant, I didn't really look forward to All Blacks tests because I knew what was going to happen. And I don't like that, but that's just me. Right, we're going to have a break. <clears throat> Excuse me. Throat's going nuts today. Uh, on the other side, a uh, long-time golf bookmaker, a cricket bookmaker as well. We're going to touch on the US Open, which starts tomorrow, and the Ashes, which starts tomorrow. Um, we've got commentary here on SNZ. Don't forget, um, Michael Campbell is on with the Breakfast Boys tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. Do tune in and have a listen to that. But Mark Ferguson will join us after the break. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Two massive events starting tomorrow, really. The Ashes and, of course, the US Open. We've had him on before, Mark Ferguson, a long-time golf and cricket bookmaker up there in the Northern Hemisphere. So we got him back on. Welcome back in, Mark. G'day, Staff. How you doing, mate? Good to, uh, good to speak to you. Yeah, good. Oh, look, I'm good. Um, Justin Rose went all right last major. I'll put my little top five and top <laughs> ten bet on him again this year to get me out of the woods. <laughs> uh, well, that's an interesting way to start because obviously I, I was going to start by apologising for your uh, your key, key listeners and obviously Harris English uh, and, and Brendan Todd didn't didn't quite well, didn't miss the cut. There were no near, nowhere near top twenty finishes. But God, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it, when you're trying to forecast uh, major championships, especially with with no course form to go on. But 
But let's hope we can go a little better this time. Yeah, and it's the um, LA Country Club. It's like, it's weird the US Open, and I and I'm pleased I'm talking to you because you go through a process of elimination, and it, US Open courses are set up bloody hard, like really hard. And so you can put a line through quite a few. Do, do you take the same approach when you're trying to whittle down this US Open field? The hard thing, and I said, just go back to that initial comment, when you've got a course which has no course form whatsoever, so Oak Hill, um, where we talked to the PGA, you know, had some form lines, okay, admittedly going back 20, 30 years, but it had form lines. The LA Country Club, apart from uh, a Pac-12 amateur event in 2013 there's there's no there's no form at all it's um basically it's a course for the for the rich and famous but until recently they didn't want um tournaments there so it it is very very difficult and also you hear comments in the press and the media about oh the course is is is, is playing really tough and the the rough's going to be brutal and then this week we've learned that uh the recent weather hasn't enabled the rough to grow as the usda wanted to and we're talking about potential scoring records being broken. So it is very, very difficult to get a read on it. But then we go again to the whole USDA process, hitting fairways, um, stellar short games, and, and, and that kind of real par. Where par is, is a good score. Those those guys that, that can be around one, two under will, will obviously have a good chance. But I throw the caveat is I've, I've heard that, you know, 10 under may win this week. But, but yeah, look, you, you still can go back to the basics. But, but it's not the easiest one to forecast. Yeah, and I, I just, you straight away look at the first thing I do is, who's the favourite? Who's the favourite? And, of course, it's Scotty Scheffler. And for me, Mark, Scotty Scheffler can play in any weather, on any course, favouring left to right, right to left, good putter, good job. He, he's the complete package. Oh, he is the complete package. But, you know, we talked about this last time. Everything in, in life, and in sport has a price and uh you know top price i think you know, i'm guessing he's, he's about seven dollars on on yeah. on the tab he's no better than that and the english european bookmakers and i can't touch him at that price in the sense he just can't he can't seem to get over the line i mean that wonderful performance of the players championship but he and he's been in contention pretty much every other week it, uh, i struck me at the memorial two weeks ago he didn't really that play that well it made the cut on the number and far as floppy bogey on 17, he would have found himself in the playoff. <laughs> but it's just that point that he's not quite getting it done. And, and with putting frailties, and he's talking about changing putters this week, that's clearly in his head. You know, you can't avoid statistics. These players look at statistics, particularly Rory. He's all over certain numbers and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And he's aware, Rory's aware, Scotty's aware of where their frailties have been. And, and Scotty Sheffler, it's obvious, it's been on the green, but that's really, really difficult to address, you know, it, mentally that must be very difficult when you're, you know, two or three shots better than everybody else to the green, and then inferior to them on the green. So I, I couldn't have Sheffield this week, but yeah, you're right. He is the man to be. If you could have any man against the field, he would be the man. But I, I certainly wouldn't be putting any money on him this week. We had doubts about the live golfers returning to the PGA Tour. We sort of put pencil lines through them last time. Um, but gosh, uh, it showed that. Well, we, 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 yeah, we put pencil lines to a degree. I mean, I, I did make the comment that the, the competitive advantage, yeah, uh, that, that the, the PJ Tour players at the Masters had, had definitely gone by the time of the US 
US PGA. I talked about the fact that those that they the US PGA players um, were not going to have that advantage. And sure enough, Brooks Kepka, uh, I couldn't have him at the price. I did mention that that um, I did think he'd be contending with with DJ amongst top live players. But yeah, he he was magnificent, wasn't he? He was absolutely magnificent. And with all the palaver that's gone on this week, yeah, I mean, you, you, you certainly wouldn't be writing off any of those guys whatsoever. But but look, Texas Price, 50 to 1 at the Masters, 22 to 1 at the USGA. What is he, 12 to 1 this week? 12 bucks this week. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, it is crazy. And I'm interested to see if Rory McIlroy can put all the unrest of the last couple of weeks about this new World Golf League or whatever they're going to call it, whether he can just focus on his game. Well, do you think he can? I mean, I think that's, a, that's pie in the sky. I mean, he looks yeah. so distracted, doesn't he? He looks a forlorn figure for, for me, Staff. Yeah, same. Yeah, same here. So where do, where do we point to? Well, let, let's get into the nuts and bolts. I can go through all these players and have comments on, but there's so many of them. I, actually, one I do yeah. want to ask you about, Colin Morikawa. It's his home course. Um, yeah. Like the, the, the drums are beating for him in New Zealand in this tournament. What's your thoughts on Colin Morikawa? Well, I, I've, I've got three. The three golfers I like this week for various markets uh, are Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, and uh, Minwoo Lee. I know he's not a, a Kiwi, um, but he's across. He's from across the ditch. He's um, nearly. Let's start with Morikawa. <laughs> yeah, nearly. Yeah, you can. You, I don't think you Kiwis would claim him, but no. uh, <laughs> but yeah, look, 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 yeah, absolutely. That's the consensus. What Colin Morikawa? Yeah, he's on my shortlist, but he's not on my staking plan. He's not on my staking plan because of that withdrawal two weeks ago when two shots off the lead going to the final round at Memorial. Uh, when you withdraw uh, in those circumstances, I believe it was a, a serious back spasm as opposed to a back, uh, you know, a, a, some kind of residual injury. Uh, I have to have grave concerns when putting the, the readies down on a player that's withdrawn two weeks ago. Mm. But yeah. I looked at Morikawa uh, and I looked at his US Open record, uh, fourth and fifth, last couple of years. He's a player that I admire greatly, a great iron player. Struggled with his driver, but because the fairways average 43 yards wide this week, I think you're going to get away with more errant drives than normal in US Open. Still going to be a premium on driving, but that's why I looked at Morikawa. But his course knowledge plays great in in in, um, in California, but for the reasons of injury staff two weeks ago, I I couldn't be money, putting money on him. But look, I understand the that there is there's definitely a place for Morikawa for, for for punters out there. It's just not for me. But he was on my list of three, so I mean let let let's add that restriction in the sense that I strongly considered Colin Morikawa, mm. but he doesn't get my money. All right, Victor Hovland's an interesting one. He's uh, my producer's golfer for the US Open this week. What, what do you like about him? Well, well, your producer's ears will be listening in that case. It'll be, be lit up when when we talk here. Uh, yeah, Mark Hovland, I, I've been waiting for him to win on US soil. Uh, all his PJ Tour wins have been uh, either in, in Mexico uh, or, or, or Hawaii, he's certainly not won in, in mainland America until two weeks ago. Uh, and, and that was a real U.S. Open attritional final round. Um, he produced three under par where everybody else was faltering on the back nine. Plus tough in, in, in the playoff. Uh, I, yeah, I really rate Hovland. 
I've rated him for a long time. Uh, if you look at his performance in majors over the last year, he's been bang there. Bar that crazy shot in the bunker uh, towards the, I think it was on 16 in the final round where Kepka won the PGA um, last month. He, he looked very much the winner himself. And, and I think he's going to take a lot of confidence from, from that win at, at Jack Nicholas's Muirfield Village. And he just ticks all the boxes statistically. You know, drives it away, phenomenal iron player, a solid putter. The key for me, which puts me, which makes him my headline bet, is that I think the rough this week, certainly around the green, looks very, very iffy, as in pretty rough. I mean, it, it, not only that, because it's the, the type of grass, they haven't played on Bermuda um, for, for 75 years. Well, sorry, they've not been in LA for 75 years. They've not played in Bermuda at the US Open since 2005. Now, this Bermuda grass can be so unpredictable. I.e., you know, you could you could hit it in there one hole and it'd be sitting up at the top and, and the next hole would be right at the bottom. What I'm saying about this is Victor Hovland's weakness is with the short game. It's improved immeasurably, but it's still his Achilles heel. I think it's a level playing field around the green. I think it's going to be. Again, it's very hard to weigh everything, but I think it's going to be tough around the green and if that's a level playing field, Hovland's laughing. And I think that gets it done this week. And, and for me, Victor Hovland is the winner this week. Right, you're going to force us to talk about an Australian then, Minwoo Lee. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've just seen he's paying 11 bucks for a top 10, so I'll let you talk about him. <laughs> okay, uh, it's not the top 10 I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the top Australian. Not the top Australasian, Uh I see the TAB are paying eight bucks for this. Um, and if, if we look at, let's get the market up here. Uh, the top of the tree, Cam Smith, Jason Day, Scott Lucas Herbert, Cam Davis, and then Carl Phillips. I've never even heard of him. I presume he's an amateur. Um, but Minwoo Lee, look, he's been impressive. Young lad, 24 years of age, uh, final, final group, uh, the players championship. Lost shot seventy six, but ended up you know tied six. Is still very impressive. I mean, he's, he's raw. This kid is raw, but he's got raw, raw talent. Uh, he, he's driving. You know, he's, he's long. Uh, his, his iron plays pretty stellar. He's got phenomenal creativity around the greens for a young guy. And I think it's that around the greens this week that interests me. I think you're going to need a lot of flare shots. Uh, he's, he's a very confident putter, and he's not scarred. He's not battle scarred like a lot of these guys are. And and I think from reasonably off the radar uh, at the prices, I think you know eight eight bucks for to be top Australian again. And of course that omits your great uh, great hope, Ryan Fox. So Foxy has a great week. You don't need to worry because he's not even in the market. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Okay, you've given us uh, so your number one's Victor Hovland, and and we we chuck in Morikawa, maybe a top five or ten. And then the top Australian men will leave. Well, I'll, I'll note that down on my bet. So, uh, but we've got to come... note, note that note that down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we go, I know you you're probably you're known for golf, but probably better known and more frothing the cricket and the Ashes <laughs> gets underway uh, tomorrow night, New Zealand time. We've got the commentary here on ECNZ. Um for a, for a for a cricket test series that doesn't involve New Zealand we absolutely love the Ashes here and it's just we've got a little bit of investment in Brennan McCullum 
who was our very first breakfast show host on the station, actually. He's coaching England now. He's changed the landscape there. You're, you're massive into cricket. How do you forecast what's going to happen in this series? Well, I, I've been saying it a few times on, on my podcast recently. I've, I've hinted at the fact that I really strongly fancy Australia. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, there's nothing nothing's put me off. Well, strangely enough, Zach Leach's injury gives uh, England a better chance. I know it sounds ridiculous because of, of Jack Leach being allegedly England's best spinner, but I don't rate Jack Leach in the slightest. Uh, I think Australia put him <laughs> to the sword 18 months ago. Tell when, us what you really out. think. Tell us what you yeah, think. Yeah, all the time. You've got to say, what you think. look, clearly he's a great cricketer. Um, but, but, but for me, uh, he's not an international class off-spinner. Uh, no way at all. And you compare him to Nathan Lyon, for example, yeah. and you look at our Australian attack. So let's get away from Leach, but, but let's talk about the Australian attack. You know, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, uh, Lyon, but Hazelwood may not even get the gig. Scotty Boland's doing the business there. And, and that middle order. Look, yeah, you could say that the Kawaja um, and, and Warner is sitting ducks at the top of the order. Warner's probably going to get a good one from the England team attack in the first five ten overs. Um, but then Lavishane, Smith, Head, you know, these, this is this is impressive. This is a hell of a middle order for me. And and that is where the engine room is going to be won. You know, Alex Carey, Cam Green, 6-7 or vice versa. Um, these guys are... Cam Green's getting to know his work, but what a cap for. See how the guy can feel. What a, do you see that cap he took? Yeah. Um, I think to the Smith Pajara or something in that, in that international, in the World Championship final. But look, they're the complete package. Um, Smith, I think he scored 3,044 Ashes runs. He's, he's, he's looking to overtake Steve Waugh. Then he's just got Jack Hobbs. And of course, the, the Don himself. I don't think he's going to break Don Bramman's record, but uh, Steve Smith is, is all class. And, and I think that he really wants to, to, to tick off. Uh, he said that winning in England will, will tick off a bucket list thing. So yeah, I, I think England um, are up against it. I think Australia are going to win comfortably. If you're looking for a scoreline, um, I'm boldly and potentially outrageous. I hope people, uh, my countrymen, aren't listening to this. Um, I'm going to go four-one Australia. Four-one really? Australia. Yeah. Weather-wise, um, people are saying that. I mean, the forecast uh, is a little iffy for day four and five at Edgbaston, but I don't think it, it doesn't get to day four and five. It's the way the baz balls unfolding. Um, and look, big credit to, to what McCullum's done. Let me take nothing away uh, when I say I fancy Australia 4-1. What McCullum has breathed into this England side has, has been nothing short of magical. Uh, he plays, or you know, he's not playing himself, but the way he played the game um, was with a breath of fresh air. And he's just said to Ben Stokes and the side, you guys, go and, go and play. And I think he backed, you know, he backed all those players. Zach Crawley, you could argue, is very, very lucky to be playing Test cricket with what he's done in the last two years. Jack Leach as well, but he backed Jack Leach and he said, go and bowl and, and just and Ben Stokes backed into the hilt. But I do think it's an advantage getting Mo and Ali back. Um, Mo and Ali, yeah, hasn't bowled Red Bull cricket for a couple of years, but he's classy, Mo and Ali. I think the Aussies will still get after him and I think um, he's not the player he was. But I strange enough, it gives England a better, a better chance than with Leach. But look, all things factored in, Australia 4-1 for me. Um, here's the... the reaction of the English cricket public changed 
in the way they support the England cricket team with the arrival of Baz. Like he's he's very laconic, very laid back, and I laughed. I can't remember. I think it was Lords, and he's walking around in rugby shorts and jandals during the warm ups um, or thongs. I don't know what you call them over there. Um, and yeah, and has it has it loosened a little bit of the stiff upper lip with the English aristocracy? Oh, I, I think that's loosened um, uh, quite a while ago, Staff. I, I think, yeah, he's very, he's massively respected, uh, hugely respected. The media loves McCullough. What isn't to love about the guy? You know, he, he just goes around with a smile on his face, takes accountability. That's the great thing about McCullough. The only test they lost on his good, you know, he's, he's going out there saying, well, you know, I'll own that, I'll own this, I'll own that. He, he never takes any of the credit. He'll only take accountability. Uh, if, if they get beat, and I think you'll probably have to take a fair bit of that this summer. But that's not going to change. That's not going to change the way English people look at McCullum. Uh, I think we've always Brits always have an affinity for Kiwis. Uh, I think we love the way you, you play your sport and and the way you handle yourselves. And, and I think he's just all class for me. That's my personal opinion, and it's a, it's a view echoed by a lot of my friends. Whether the aristocracy uh, agree, I, you know, I think they do. No, he's a bit of a hero over here. He really is. He's like the naughty boy that lives next door, isn't he, for them? that Yeah, I quite like it. Hey, uh, Mark, we've got to push on. Uh, thanks heaps for your time. We'll yeah. follow the US Open and the Ashes all at once. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. Well, that's good. The fingers crossed for Hovland and, and Minwoo Lee this time. They hope they fare better than English and Todd do. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Cheers, buddy. We'll catch up again. Absolute pleasure, Steph. Take care and good luck to all your listeners out there. Black Caps fast bowler Trent Boggs off to play cricket in the United States, signing on for the inaugural season of the Major Cricket League. The 33-year-old, who declined an NZC Central contract last week, will play for the Mumbai Indians New York, one of six Kiwis to join the American competition. The other New Zealanders include Martin Guptill, Lockie Ferguson, Corey Anderson, Glenn Phillips and Adam Milne. All the big moments from the world of sport. SCNZ Radio, WNZ. Waterforce, your local water management partner. Mainly fine across Auckland, cloud increasing this evening with light showers north of Whangaparoa tonight and northeasterlies. Catch live ball-by-ball commentary of the first Ashes Test tomorrow night from 9 on SCNZ. This is where we get involved in the TAB odds, uh, the power plays, the same game claims, gosh, the bonus back bets. Brendan Popper, well, you're across all of it. Excite me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, should I just start talking? And, uh, yeah, look, I'm, got, I'm handing you the rudder. You, I'll, I'll be Blair Chook, you be Peter Burley. Okay, let's go. Let's win this thing. Um <laughs> Bonus back. Okay, well, I think, first of all, golf, uh, US Open. Great chance to be able to have a bet on your favourite player in the outright market. Have a bet, uh, and it runs. They don't win, but they come in the top 20. You get yourself a bonus bet up to $50. And that's just a nice insurance factor if you're watching and your player's playing well or you're out of contention of winning, but you still want to see what's happening uh, on the leaderboard. So that's always a nice little insurance. Where's the money going then? If you want to have an outright winner bet, well, We've seen a thousand on uh, Hobland 
this afternoon. That's at a price of $16, $17, and now $16 for Victor Hovland, so we've seen money there. Uh, Cam Smith, money keeps uh, working its way in. We've seen money for Cam Smith uh, at around that $29 price. Also 500 on Ram, 500 on Scheffler at 850, which is now at the $7. And of course, uh, the worst result is Ryan Fox, who's <laughs> currently sitting at $151. But if you are a Ryan Fox supporter, I would be working to somewhere else in the market. Yes, the 151 is a, is a lovely bet to have a five or a tenner on, but maybe look towards our boosted option that we've given uh, in the top 40. Ryan Fox top 40 boosted. From two thirty out to two dollars and seventy cents, and already we've seen a number of punters climb into that two seventy either via single bets or multis. Yeah, near top thirties in his last two majors, and um, just talking to Mark Ferguson, who's a, a long-time bookmaker up there in the north, he informed us that the average width of fairway at this U.S. Open is forty-three yards, which is very wide for a U.S. Open. So that's going to help Foxy along a little bit too. Um, ashes, ashes. Um, I don't know that there's been much movement, but we do have the match odds open now. We do. And look, the money is for Australia. Uh, the, the, the market has been with them pre uh, them winning the World Test Championship and even a little bit firmer since since then. So they've been hovering around that sort of 225 zone, the 222 uh, and the ledgers with them. Look, England supporters, 249. I, I do feel as though Australia do believe that they can just blast England out because if they're coming out there with their, their baseball, that Australia have got the better bowling lineup. It's the best bowling lineup they've ever, ever faced uh, since uh, baseball was created and, and they're just going to blow them to some of the rings. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be exactly like that. I, I do think England have got something about them and Guys like Harry Brook and what we saw here and Ben Duckett and, and those sort of players with, with Joe Root, they, those guys can play. Um, so 249 for England and the draw at $4.15. Where's the, the interest been in, in this game so far? The coin toss. <laughs> Who's going to win the coin toss? <laughs> I'm going to have a bit on a greyhound race. or um, But no, the coin toss. And it is 50-50 here with uh, England $1.90 and Australia $1.90. But that has taken the most traction out of every option that's available in the Ashes starting on Friday. <laughs> Just check where that money's coming from, please, Pops. Just check with it. <laughs> and when the coin goes up in the air, just check one of the captains doesn't go, oh. and they go, oh, what? Open. And they go, what? And then they look down and they go, I said tails. Yeah, I said tails. Uh, Pops, we've got to crack on. Awesome to chat to you, buddy. Welcome, mate. Cheers, man. See you, mate. Bruno Popwell, TAB.co.nz, or download the app to it responsibly, B18. Coming up after the break, Ryan Wolf. Remember we had him on a little while ago? He is the true crime podcast creator. His podcast is called Guilt. He's here. Next. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Special guest coming in today. Um, I just organised to catch up with him for a coffee. We've had a lot of feedback when we had Ryan Wolf on, the same day we had Ryan Fox actually, so um, we had both species. Uh, Ryan Wolf came on and he is the podcaster that brings us the Guilt Podcast. And a lot of you out there have been messaging the show saying you've um, listened, you've enjoyed, you've told your friends. 
and we decided we'd catch up. Um, and so, Ryan, um, good, to see, good to meet you in person. Yeah, Steffi, yeah, nice to see you. Um, yeah, put a face to the name. Busy? Jeez, you, I look at the stuff you do and I just, being in broadcasting for so long, I know how much work goes behind to make an hour audio. Yeah, um, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I bite off more than I can chew. Uh, but, you know, I, I love being busy. It's, um, it keeps me out of other trouble, I guess. So the ones you've done so far, just for the ones that may haven't heard of you yet, um, it started with, uh, I might drive to Pyro and find out what happened down there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more or less, yeah, it was 2021 and um, when I started Guilt and it was just the murder of Jordan Vidori in, in Pyro and that always bothered me. And I just happened to have family in law that lived near and yeah, it was just a, it was a kind of... Um, drunken bet I made to myself at Christmas hey I should make a podcast and then I did and yeah 18 months later it's totally changed my life yeah so that was the first series second series yeah and then we delved into the disappearance of Jim Donnelly from the Glenbrook steel mill up in Auckland and um yeah that was when the podcast sort of really took off I guess commercially I guess um lots of new listeners and and people really enjoyed that season yeah because I just mentioned to you over a coffee that um that one was the one I remembered it, and it was just oh, the Glenbrook Mill guy, he's the guy that went in the acid bath and melted away. Yeah, I remember that one, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, are you learning while you're recording and researching as well? Um, learning about do you mean sort of making the podcast or the actual cases themselves? The actual case itself, it's just evolving in front of your eyes 100%. Um, I think there was the, the episode, just trying to think of which one it was, but where I um interviewed Stephen I think it might have been around it was, the episode name was Redemption and this was one where someone's listened to the podcast and then passed it on and then next thing the phone's ringing and it's someone that I remember when I got that phone call and I you know my hairs were standing up on end because everything changed at that point um I remember thinking oh, where's I'm not sure where the season's going and then yeah, so yeah, I am learning every time, yeah, all the time. And I didn't know, but you'd organised a um, Facebook page and all the listeners jump on, and so I joined the group, and it's like an episode comes out and people jump on and go, can't believe he said that, why didn't he think of that? And it's all this discussion, so it's almost like a real-life reality drama for the listener as well on mm. this on this path. Yeah, and I think that's something that makes it unique, I suppose, uh, my podcast, is that a lot of them, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the whole podcast is pre-researched and pre-recorded, so there's no sort of active investigation that involves the listeners themselves, and I sort of go into it and think, well, we'll make six or seven episodes, get ahead, and then, you know, it's live kind of from there, so if listeners call in, like they can actually affect the rest of the case. And then, yeah, people jump on that. It's become a bit of a community, I suppose. Mm. And, and, you know, people can be um, surprisingly intuitive. And sometimes I do look through that page and there's, you know, over a thousand people on there. And um, and you'll see something and think, oh, shit, yeah, that's actually, I, sh- I should go back and look at that. Mm. Yeah. So um, you've just releasing, what is it, Untold Stories. Mm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this came about because... Yeah, I've sort of learned, I kind of got lucky in my first two cases that, you know, they went forward and went ahead. And then the next two cases, I've kind of run into roadblocks where uh, in the first one, there was a bit of a clash with another journalist. And then in the second one, I had a family that were really keen to go ahead, which is in Cursor Jensen's family who disappeared 
1983 in Hawke's Bay and then sort of decided they didn't want to go ahead. So I already had some material and decided that instead of sort of just throwing it away, I'd just sort of make it into a shorter podcast, which I've called Guilt Untold Stories. Mm. What's next? Are you allowed to tell us? Or do you know what? Do you know yeah, what's next? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'll tell you a little bit. So um, there is a season I'm working on now for Guilt, and it will be the the biggest one yet and it, it's a huge New Zealand case uh, there's a lot of angles to it and yeah yeah I, I don't want to say too much at, at this point um, only that I'm working on it now and when it comes out it's it's going to be big I think um, no I know it will do you get international listeners as well as New Zealand yeah um, the only about 22% of the audience is from New Zealand wow yeah which is quite unique most New Zealand podcasts aren't that lucky I guess so um, Australia is my biggest audience. I think about forty-five percent from Australia, and um, yeah, the rest of the world. Do you feel pressure that okay, I've got them, they've clicked follow my show, um, automatic download. That's how I do it as well. Um, do you feel pressure that geez, the quality's got to stay because I've got to keep these listeners because it's it's mushroomed quickly for you? Yeah, you know the thing. What one thing you know when I started this. Um, I always remember this thing Kurt Cobain said. He said he just wanted to make the music he liked and then he figured someone else might too. And I always thought the same thing. When I started the podcast, I never made it thinking, what should it be like? And I want to please people. I just wanted to make something I thought that I would listen to. And and that sort of continues to this day. I don't feel any pressure really, so long as it doesn't sound terrible. But I just sort of keep doing what I'm doing. I liked you did a Q&A podcast and people could fire you in questions and voice questions and stuff like that and someone mentioned your voice that's like why do you pretend to be american <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's funny because uh so i was born in canada and um but i've lived in new zealand most of my life my mum's canadian and you know i suppose i've always rolled my eyes a little bit sometimes more than others i notice uh, but i went back to canada when i was in my teens for a few years and then came back yeah i don't know sometimes i find when i'm sitting recording and you're really in the zone, yeah, sometimes I listen back and it's like, oh, I've really rolled an R there for some reason. <laughs> maybe depends what I eat that morning. Resonate with people in Invercargill, <laughs> maybe. Hey, Ryan, awesome to put mm. a face to the name, as you say. And, and the, the one last thing is I expected when I met you I'd, I'd meet quite a big man because you've got that, mm. that resonant, deep voice. Mm. Like, you're lucky because... As strange as it seems, I stop listening to podcasts if I don't connect with the person's voice, but that's my choice. Mm. Um, there's some really good stories out there, really poorly told. So consciously, do you try and sort of stay neutral? Um, I don't feel like you take sides. You're forever telling us no one's guilty till it's been to court. No one's this. Make up your own mind. Is that a hard thing or is that a natural thing? Uh, yeah, I think that just sort of comes naturally to me. And I'm like that in life always, whenever... You hear something, some story of something, and I always say, well, you know, we don't know that for sure. Like, you know, has that study been peer-reviewed? You know, before you go and think that's, you know, that's the 100% truth. And I think that's the same with the podcast. Every case I go into, I always go in with a completely open mind. And um, I let the evidence guide my sort of, my reasoning and not the other way around. Mm, awesome. So uh, the podcast is Guilt, and the other one is Guilt... Guilt Untold Stories, so untold. it's just two, a bit two shorter. Two different tabs. Yeah, so there's there's some... I think there'll be episodes coming out for the next five five weeks on that. There you go. Jump in, people. Um, so it won't be on your Guilt tab. You have to go Guilt Untold Stories. Uh, easy to find. Um, right, awesome to meet you, and we, uh, yeah. we'll definitely stay... And I can't wait for the, 
the blockbuster one. I've already whirring in my head. There's mm. two or three that it could be. Um, and I know people on the Facebook page are trying to guess as well. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, no, it'll be good. Thanks. Thanks, Steffi. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Uh, great to have uh, Ryan Wolf in studio. Um, <clears throat> he's got a big one, a big, big case. He wouldn't tell me, even off here, he wouldn't tell me what it is. What do you reckon it's going to be? Um, we had a lot of texts from people when we had them in last time. They they all gave it a crack, and I, I love the Glenbrook Mill one. Um, Toddy says, I love guilt, one of my must-listen-to pods. That's from Toddy. Uh, Richard says, I've been enjoying guilt. Congrats, Ryan. Very thorough investigation. Sort of frustrating the cases still aren't solved, but intriguing how the police seem to falter a bit in their investigations. Well done. Um, from Paul. Hey, Steph. Agree 100% on the voice being key for a podcast. I started listening to an Aussie one called The Lighthouse, which is the story of a Belgian tourist that goes missing, but tapped out after two episodes as the guy telling the story would put you to sleep. <laughs> I've got a podcast I listen to that puts me to sleep. I listen to it every night. It's great. It's about... Each episode's about 30 minutes. I reckon I last about five or six because I'm just not engaging. I'm a huge podcast listener. And I'm, I'm bloody proud of Ryan with um, just a, a self-starting bloke that um, just followed a passion and he's getting success and he's he's had a million downloads, over a million downloads now, which is just fantastic from a little old Kiwi land and I wish him the best success and I can't wait to find out what this big, big one is. And he's... Um, we talked about maybe when that big, big one comes out. We might just do a little five-minute update as each episode comes out and you can join us, the listeners out here, with live and exclusive updates from Ryan himself. I think that be, could be quite a cool thing to do. We've got news now, and after that, we're talking to Tony Johnson from Sky. We've got Super Rugby Semis. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Just gone 2 o'clock, good to have your company here on SCNZ Afternoons with Staffy here till 3 and then Kirsty Stanway and Mark Richardson will be joining Coors Beavers in South Korea of all places running coaching clinics. Oh, he'll have a hoot. He'll have a hoot. Uh, big, big weekend of Super Rugby. The top four have found their way into the semi-finals. Uh, we're going to have a look at those, but I want to just ask TJ. Tony Johnson joins us now from... Sky Sport teacher. I want to ask you first of all, buddy, um, when we were previewing last week, neither of us could have predicted the biggest talking point would have been a try that wasn't scored by Adi <laughs> Savia. <laughs> yeah, look, to be honest, um, you, you knew that that was going to be given as a no try as soon as uh, Nick Berry, and I, I think he kind of bailed out on it a little bit, uh, said, you know, on field, no try. Uh, to me, there was enough evidence there. I, I think the ball had been grounded. 
uh, you know, I think they probably could have awarded the try. But the thing is, it's got to be so conclusive to overturn the, the, the on-field decision that uh, it was no great surprise, really, what the outcome of it was. Uh, were they unlucky? Yep. Um, I, I, I think, you know, in, in other instances, that, that might have been given. But having said that, if you're going to focus on something like that uh, and a, a lost opportunity or a decision that didn't go your way, You've also got to be fair and, and focus on other opportunities that they had to win the game. And obviously the most talked about one came not that long before when Geordie Barrett, who just seems a, li- a little bit out of sorts at the moment, uh, opted to have a go uh, when he had an unmarked player, Baylon Sullivan, outside him, and, and that could have won the game too. So, yeah, they, they were unlucky in that regard, but by the same token, uh, they didn't take another match-winning opportunity when they had it. And look... You know, it's a hard place to win. You know, they had a pretty good season. The Hurricanes, they'll be disappointed that they're not in the mix this weekend. But they certainly didn't fail in, in 2023. Just just on Geordie Barrett, like when he's on form, he's, he's one of the best in the world. But he has been off just for a little while. With the return of Jack Goodhue, Rico's probably got 13 locked up. Return of Jack Goodhue, return of Anton Leonard-Brown. Um, is he potentially under threat for the starting 12? Uh, look, I get the funny feeling that they, they, they like him there, uh, that they feel that that's a position where he can make a, a really good contribution. And, you know, you think about it, he's a big, strong guy. He gets the ball, you know, he gets through the tackle. He can offload, uh, defence solid, uh, you know, obviously gives him an extra, a very powerful kicking boot in the middle of the field. There's a lot about him that, that they like, and I think that, that they feel he can contribute from from 12. I think they've got so many options at 15 at the moment that uh, you know I, I think that's where they're looking at him. The, the guy that I would say that's come back and made a, making a real claim for that 12 jersey is Anton Leonard Brown. Mm. I mean, he has been absolutely outstanding since coming back into the Chiefs side. He's he's been sharp. Uh, you know, he, he's been penetrative. You know what a good uh, defender. You know what a good thinker he is. He's a he, and and so I think that if there is a threat coming, it's from Anton Leonard Brown. Uh, I always feel with Anton Leonard Brown that he plays better at twelve than than thirteen. So, but but I know Jordy Barrett's going to be part of the picture, no question. Yeah, um, semi-finals time. Um, I don't think either are foregone conclusions, TJ. Talking to the TAB guys all week, they're just saying it's pretty much one-way traffic. The Chiefs, um, a little bit more divided between the Crusaders and the Blues. I I think both games are wide open. Yeah, the only sort of rather damning statistic, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, is that there have been 58 playoff matches played in New Zealand and the home team has won 54 of them. Mm. Even with my very basic maths, uh, I can work out that that means that the away team has won exactly four times since 1996. So that shows the importance of playing at home. You, you wonder, you know, people try and say, look, it's just another paddock, it's just another patch of grass, but, but home advantage does seem to count. Uh, and, and so that's what the Blues and it's what the Brumbies are up against this weekend. But I, I agree. I thought the Brumbies... You know, played played really well uh, last week. I, I think we, we we can't keep seeing them as a one-dimensional team because I think they they showed multiple facets to their game last week. Uh, the, the Blues would probably be encouraged uh, that, in that they're able to uh, put a settled team out on the field. Um, they don't have the injury quite 
the same degree of injury disruption uh, that the Crusaders have got. Um, and they did beat uh, the Crusaders. I think they, they beat them last year in Christchurch in a round robin game. So it, it's not beyond their capabilities, but. History tells us that the, that the home teams are favourites of both of these games. Just on those Crusaders injuries, I feel like it's um, it's not an excuse, but it's a reason to give the Blues a red-hot crack, uh, particularly when Mr Lineout himself, uh, Sam Whitelock not being there, Ethan Blackadder not being there. There's a number of players there without big match experience. If anyone's going to beat the Crusaders in Christchurch, I feel like this is the best opportunity we've seen for some years. Yeah, the, you know, even the Crusaders with their incredible depth, that's being tested to the to the limit. I mean, yep, you, you mentioned Whitelock, Blackadder, you add them to a, a list that also includes George Bauer, Sebu Reese, Joe Moody, uh, Fletcher Newell, uh, David Havili, all All Blacks, as well as, you know, Cullen Grace, Dom Gardner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a major depletion it takes a lot of elite players out, but but I think most importantly, it takes a couple of their key decision makers out. Whitelock, obviously, uh, at, at line out time, he's just such a great strategist at line out. Uh, you know, the you know he calls the line out, he organises everything. So that that's big. And of course, David Harvey. I, I always feel like the you know the Crusaders play better that Richie Moonga plays better when David Harvey is there because he just takes a little bit of weight off, um, takes over a bit of the kicking responsibility, bit of the decision-making process. And so that those are, are, are major losses. But, you know, they still don't lose many, do they? Uh, no matter who's on the field. Um, so, look, I, I, I think, um, you know, they still go into the game as favourites. But, yep, I, I'd agree that because of the depletion there and because of the talent that the, the Blues have got, let's not forget that. You know, they have got some devastating attacking talent of their own. Uh, you know, they're going to be a, a, a real shot at this. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating prospect. Sure is, sure is. Um, I want to ask you about the um, show that was on last night, the Paddy Gow, but I can't ask you about it if I don't know whether you watched it or not. Uh, uh, you, you talk, uh, look, I, I've caught wind of it. I didn't watch it. I, I like okay. Paddy. You know, don't don't get me wrong, but I didn't watch it. And from what I understand, what he did a thing about why is everyone turning off rugby, and he had Andrew Gordy on. Is that right? Talking about it? That, yeah, well, Andrew Gordy went and did the legwork, talked to fans, talked to clubs. It went full circle. Actually, he started off why is it seems to be dying away, but in the full circle, he did a history of New Zealand rugby and why we should all still love it and let's get back on the bandwagon. Let's go. And yeah. so he, he did do the full circle, but there were concerns with playing numbers, the concerns with attendances, concerns with rule interpretations, all that sort of thing. But one thing that yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you one thing Mark Robinson said, which was my biggest takeout of it was um, he's very open and almost, almost wants New Zealand players to be able to play for Australian Super Rugby franchises for the betterment of the competition. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, there's enough. You know, go through the, the teams now. Uh, I mean, look at the Brumbies team that'll play this weekend. How many New Zealand-born players have they already got there? I, to me, that's a side issue. It really is. Um, mm. I, I think they've got to be more concerned about main. You know this sort of breakdown that occurs when players leave school or what's going on at the school, um, you know, keeping the numbers up and the younger players, keeping them playing the game, you know, those sorts of things more than whether or not 
a few All Blacks can go and play for Australian teams. Uh, you know, the, the other thing too is um, that the, this talk about interest waning in the game. That's because of the crowd numbers at the stadiums. I can tell you, mate, that the, the TV figures for this year's Super Rugby are the best they've been, and I, I think it's five years at least. So particularly for the New Zealand derby, the people are still watching on TV mm. uh, in great numbers. The numbers going to the stadiums, well, I, I'm sure we'll get two really big crowds this weekend. That That's an issue. And I think maybe they've got to make more of an effort to market the game. Mm. Because at the moment, um, you know, where does the marketing come from? A lot of it's just from the, from the promotional stuff that you see on Sky. Yes. And 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 there needs to be more money gone into into the marketing to get people along. But also, we've got to provide a better stadium experience. I've banged on about that long enough. And thank goodness, when you go to Christchurch, you can now actually see that new stadium starting to take shape. Because if I lived in Christchurch, I don't think I'd be very keen on going and watching in, in that dilapidated old, you know, temporary carcass of a stadium that they've, they've got there. I mean, it's it's just testimony to the Crusaders that they're able to get as many people as they do there because. I can't imagine it's a very good viewing experience at all. Mm. So I think there's a number of factors that, that, that have to come into it. Uh, and also you've got to look across the board. Uh, are, are, are people playing as much sport right across the board in New Zealand as they're used to as well? Um, it's just that rugby is such an easy focus. You don't have to go very far before you find someone who will tell you that rugby's fading, that rug, you know what's wrong with rugby. Um, but, you know, it, it's... Are these people that actually like the game, follow the game, or are they people that actually don't like it very much? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not expired. I, I feel like the connectivity and just seeing that um, Rob Nichols come out today saying we need to involve the public more. Now, that's a big thing for, for someone like Rob Nichol when you and I know how powerful he is in, in player engagement for him to be able to say, you know, let, let's share the Blues coaching staff and who they're looking for. You know, we need a number six and we're watching the NPC to, to, yeah. to, to well, see. It goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the way the game's marketing, you know, yeah. relying on, you know, you know, promos for the games on Sky and stuff that's being sent out on social media um, and, and all that. Is, is that enough? Are they, are they doing enough? Are there enough, you know, is there enough promotional activity going on to get engagement with, with, with the fans? I think they've got to look at that, but, Mate, all I can say is that, you know, we've got two games um, coming up this weekend and, you know, we haven't talked about the Chiefs and the um, and the, the Brumbies yet. Um, but, you know, I, I expect we'll see the, the interest in those two games will be very high. I do too. I'll, I'll, I'll be definitely watching both of those. Uh, before we go, TJ, All Blacks' first squad will be named um, Sunday, I think it is, Sunday night. Um, I, do, I hate the term bolters because... Bolters don't make the All Blacks. They're bloody good players. Who's a newish bloody good player that you think? You know, I'm thinking about the likes of Sean Stevenson, Narawa, Roy Gard, th- these types of guys. I really hope Sam Penifino gets a crack. Um, can can you see two or three more or less? Well, it depends. I think it's going to depend a lot on um, on who's fit. You know, if the, there's going to be some players who are out of action for the rugby championship, but will come back, you know, that the, the pro, uh, priority will be to get them back for the World Cup, then, yeah, we could see some new faces. A, a guy like Tamaiti Williams, for example, who's just having a great season with the Crusaders. And, you know, I, I suppose it's one of the hallmarks of a, 
a, a wonderfully successful organisation that they just keep promoting young talent. I think if he was fit, you know, Dom Gardner would be a guy that I'd be looking at. Uh, Stevenson, definitely. I, I think he has deserved, uh, he deserves to be selected for the All Blacks. I think he couldn't have done a lot more um, than he has. Uh, in fact, I, 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 at this point in time, I, I know that um, Will Jordan is coming back to form and he will you know, be definitely in the mix. But, you know, you could make a pretty good case at the moment for a back three of uh, Stevenson, Talia, Fanga and Nuku. Uh, for the All Blacks, um, you know, the, the, Roy Gard is, is an interesting one because, first of all, he, he's got a really good left boot, and, mm. and that that can be very valuable when um, you've got predominantly right foot kickers around you. Uh, I, I like the way he's prepared to run, and to me, it just kind of reminds me of the way Brendan Leonard came on the scene just before. I think it was the 2007 World Cup rapid rise. I think that's there's potential there. Uh, Roy Gard, to me, the other thing, he's been starting. And to me, that gives him an advantage over, say, a Falau Whakatawa, who is really a closer um, for the Highlanders. Uh, he's a guy that they look to to come on at the end and, and you know, perhaps do something um, to, to win the game, as he has proven himself capable of doing. But the question mark is over his ability to manage the game through 60, 70 minutes. Uh, and, and that, to me, Roy Gard appears probably to have, have you know better credentials in that regard. It's going to be a tough one, that one, because, I mean, for, for, for um, obviously Aaron Smith's going to make it. Uh, for Roy Gard to make it, they would probably have to leave one of Brad Weber or Finley Christie out, and I'm not sure that either of them deserve that. So it, it's, you know, I, I think more than, uh, you know, who, who the bolters are or who the new ones are going to be, it's going to be as much about a couple of positions who they who they don't pick. And finally, finally, Sunday, naming the All Blacks, a week before the Super Rugby final. Interested in the timing? Yeah, but I think they've just got to give them... To, let's face it, you'll be down to two teams. Uh, they'll probably be two New Zealand teams for sure. Um, and, um, you know, it's just about time frames. Mm. Uh, you know, in the past, they've probably waited until after... Uh, the final, I remember um, staying on in Christchurch after the Fog final. I think they had the announcement the next day. I, I think it's been the, what used to be the way, but I think you know everything's all compressed up because it's World Cup year. I don't have a problem with them naming it before the final. Uh, you know, it's not a, it's not like it's a final trial. They'll know who they want, who they don't want. Um, you know, they'll be pretty sure in their own minds. Uh, if, if you don't know after the semi-finals, you know, you probably never know, will you? No, you won't. TJ, uh, enjoy the semis. Can't wait to preview or review the semis next week and preview what will be a stonking final regardless of who's in it. All right, mate. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Um, There is TJ, Tony Johnson. Um, I am looking forward to the two semis. Um, Oh, a lot of text messages. Never heard of anyone saying I love a scrum, someone says. Uh, People might still be watching. Uh, that doesn't mean the product out on the field is good. For the best part, it's not. I still watch. Uh, the TV figures are not the true reflection because most bars and restaurants around the country play the boring rugby. If they counted domestic homes, that might paint a different picture. Um the Highlanders social media is actually really, really good, much better than the other Super Rugby teams. They are very good at social media, actually. Uh, for your information, I'd sent you an image of the Sky Super Rugby numbers all up on last year. 
maybe we aren't good at going to the games because we love watching at home. I'm getting a bit sick of the Super Rugby vs NRL talk. I do feel that most of the talk of NRL being better is just media and a loud minority of fans. Yeah, everyone can use their voice, and I don't like it being Super Rugby now. It's you can like both, and. You can say rugby's better than NRL, NRL is better than rugby. Anyone can say because that, that is your prerogative. Um, but it looks like rugby's going to change soon. And, and I think most people will embrace a little bit more change. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll find out how we can go four in a row with pacing for purpose. Getting you through the day like a hot cuppa after lunch. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. On an absolute tear at the moment, Sammy. First time I've spoken to you today, actually, Steph. Is that the first two, time you've been on it's been, fu- it's been full on. It's, it's been great. Full, it's been fantastic. It's been enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we do, have to, uh, we do have to make a tip for our Pacing for Purpose. Now, we've sort of gone... Yin and yang, alternates here, yin and yang in terms of picking, and, and we've both been successful. Uh, but I think it's your turn this week. Yes. So um, you and people, just to paint a picture for you, um, I messaged Staff at about 7pm last night, and he was saying that um, he was just looking on the TAV for a good harness horse for our pacing for purpose. And he messaged me again at about 10 o'clock saying he's still looking. <laughs> so he has gone deep, deep into this. In fact, I'd argue you're taking it a little bit too seriously, Staff. Yeah, I just don't want to break the chain. Yeah, it's fair. It's There's a lot of reputation on the line. Mm. So what okay. have you come up with? Um, Saturday Harness, which is a rare thing in New Zealand. I'm going to the deep, dark south of the great city of Invercargill. I'd love to get back there soon, actually. Invercargill, uh, race nine, which is at 3.53. Um, I'm taking a bit of a risk, Sam, because I've taken a, a horse that's drawn out wide okay um it's second from the outside front row and it's it's not a sprint you know, they do have 1600 meter races this is 2200 um it's gonna need a little bit of luck out there but i do think it's the best horse in the field no odds out yet i'm taking nutcracker uh it does have a junior junior driver on it i do like the trainer craig ferguson nutcracker uh, it is horse seven in race nine 16 starts five wins um one last time at Winton, from memory. Yes, it did. On the up. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's on the up, but it's been up. Um, if it was drawn in, I'd be really, really confident. But that's good, though. It might give us some better odds, right? It will. See, yeah. if I think it was drawn one or two, um, you'd be lucky to get any, much over two bucks. I think we might get around the three. Yeah, fantastic. For it. Uh, so a bit of risk, but more return. And I can tell you, I can give you an update on the leaderboard as well. So sure. breakfast at $980, mornings at $1,300. we are at 1100 drive yeah, at 15 God. So I reckon one this week, Steph, would really push us close to, to drive at 1500 How long have we got to go? How long's the season? I, can, I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. So let's just keep. It's it's an open ended season at this stage. It's, uh, end of season. Playoffs if TBC. We, if we hit the front, it's the end of the season. I agree. We can shut it down straight away. We'll start season th- three or season four. Mm. Um, but there you go. So Nutcracker Saturday in Vicargo. That is race nine. That's what we're going for. What time mm. is it? 
<laughs> I just I closed the tab. I opened a different tab. Well, I'll just, uh, why no, are you getting it up? It's at 10 to 4 on Saturday. Now, while you're getting – well, you've just got it up, 10 to 4 on Saturday. Um, one thing, if I may just um, make a make a little point here, Steph. Mm. Um, before the show, me and you talked about how we were going to approach Midday Madness and talking about the story about um, that was on News Hub last night, Rugby Dine, et cetera, and we were conscious of not – just sort of rehashing the stuff that we've been talking about for months and months and months. It sort of feels like it's the same conversation and particularly not doing the NRL comparison, which is heavily what has been done. Um, you know, I'm a massive NRL fan. Mm. I originally was a rugby lover. Like that was, that was my patch. I'm one of those ones that has flipped to rugby, being more interested in rugby league, but I still love the All Blacks and I still love the Chiefs. I'm probably going to go to the game on Saturday night in Hamilton. It's going to be fantastic. What I think, and I'm not saying this is an excuse or this is this is a justification. It's an observation, potentially. Um, what people probably do need to realise about the the rugby league, um, sort of in a way, gloating about where they are at the moment is for years, for years, rugby league was almost shunned by union fans in New Zealand, and I was one of them. And when I transitioned, I, I people around me were doing it, you know, like uh, they they would talk about how league's a boring game and it's way more simple and, you know, the Warriors only get this many people to their games and they're terrible and they don't win the competition and Super Rugby so much better. That happened for years. So it's it does sort of make me laugh now that rugby fans are a little bit annoyed that we're making this comparison when that was the comparison for them for the best part of two decades. It's just inconvenient now that there's a shift in popularity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm and like not, I said, not a, not a justification yeah. of of us having the debate. And I'm but not people, saying yeah. Super Rugby is unpopular. I'm no. saying it's less popular. Yeah, yeah. And, it's not and, unpopular. And and you know, we it is just a logical comparison because it's it, a winter oval ball. Coat. It is. It is. And certainly at the moment, you can't deny that it feels because the Warriors are doing well. We put it down massively to the Warriors doing well this year. Um, it's it's an easy comparison to, to see what the Warriors are doing. They play in Auckland as well at Mount Smart to sort of compare them to the Blues and compare them to the Kiwi Super Rugby. So I think it's almost just like a natural thing. But um, me and you are both conscious of not hammering that debate of rugby versus, versus rugby yeah, league. Because, I like both. It's, yeah, it's, I like, like both as well. Because by me saying, and hear me out, I love the Warriors. That does not mean the same thing as I hate rugby now. I don't. <clears throat> I, think, I think rugby could learn... A lot about interaction with fans, um, involving fans and media in the dialogue about how the game's changing. The instant, like, um, like it or hate it, the hip drop tackle, they moved on it. Mid-season, bang, we're into that. Mm -hmm. They did it with the chicken wing tackle that Melbourne Storm were doing. Yes. In it, change it, bang. It's not good for the fans, it's not good for players, change it, bang. They're, they're more agile. They're more receptive to feedback, I feel like. Yes. And this isn't saying I hate rugby, you no. know? And, and here's I just make this point, Steph. How often do you hear, if, if people criticise the NRL, it is only for the game itself. So it's for, oh, you know, I don't like the, the, the nature of just five tackles five and tackles a kick, kick, five tackles kick. It is simply the game. Yet all the criticism on rugby at the moment isn't, very much about the actual game, although people do have problems with the rules and the interpretation. It is more about all the stuff outside of it. And you never hear that criticism of the NRL. You never hear people saying, oh, it's, it's boring, people don't show up, um, there, there's no narratives, there's no stories, there's not enough you know, player movement, all this stuff. That doesn't exist in the NRL. So, yep, you can criticise the game. What I think most of our conversation about rugby is outside of the 80 minutes on the park, there isn't a lot. 
because the 80 minutes at times is actually okay. You know, Hurricanes v Blues, Crusaders right. v Chiefs is actually a good product. Mm. It's just everything else surrounding it that mm. it is not being done very well. And that's where we all are getting and upset. bringing in a Super Rugby Commission to address that, great, tick. Yeah. Mark Robinson, happy to take um, feedback now, tick. Rob Nickel just coming out now saying we need to increase the narrative between the media, the fans and the play. tick. It's all coming along. But we can love both and I do. We can love both and I do. Let's have some news. One touch to free me from falling down on my own. From falling down on my own. Selector! Oh, big selector! Welcome in. Call us 0800-150-811. Show me the money. I was meant to tell you to ring before the news. As soon as we've got five callers on the right, we're going to reduce... First five in, we spin the wheel, you're in to play Show Me The Money. we got a leg each. Me, Sammy, have you got anyone else in the booth at the moment, Sam? No, it's just me. Just you. Uh, oh, we should get someone. B-Man's not here. Okay. Should we take two callers? Well, then who's going to win the money? Do we the- split it? Shall we try that? Well, maybe we should do that. Maybe Let's we should take that. two and we can split, split it down the middle. Okay. Share each. Five are in. I'll spin one wheel, you spin the other one. Yes. I've, I've spun number four. What have you spun? Uh, I've spun number three, funnily enough. Three and four. Three which and four. Which is uh, Hamish. We'll start with Hamish from Matoto. Hamish. Hamish. Hello, boys. Hey, fella. Turn, are you doing good? Fella. Turn down that radio. Turn down that radio. I am. Actually, I'm in my car. This, this happened last time I spoke to you. It all reverberates back to us. But anyway, you hang on there, Hamish. G'day. I think it's my phone. Yeah, it might be your phone. G'day, Brendan. How you doing, buddy? You're right. Yeah, outstanding. Uh, how do we do this, Sam? Uh, well, let's let's kick it off officially. Show you the money. <laughs> Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Righto. I'll go first. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Hamish. I'm going to take you, put you on hold, because uh, that's going to be very distracting for the rest of the segment. So uh, we'll come back to Hamish very shortly, Staff. Stay there, Hamish. Are you going to go first? I hope. I wish you didn't, because I feel like you're going to go where I want to go. But Okay, you go first. No, 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 you go first, Mark. Okay, US Open golf. Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> Bugger. I'll pivot, I'll pivot. You pivot then. US Open golf, tournament group betting. Group oh my B. gosh, I'm going to have to go so it's deep right into this. It's right at the bottom. It's right at the bottom. Okay, scrolling down. Very last one. Group B. Yes, sir. So, this is the group. Patrick Cantlay, Victor Hovland, Xander Schofley, Jordan Spieth. You just have to pick the winner of those four. Victor Hovland, $3.30. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's actually a great pick. Um, I, I was going to take something exotic in the golf, but uh, I am funny enough going to go to rugby union staff if I might just dip my toes in a little bit of super rugby. Is that okay? Go for golf. I'm going to go with the Chiefs Brumbies. It gives me something to cheer about when I'm at uh, FMG on Saturday evening. Uh, now, I need a bit of help here, staff, because I'm just thinking for shooter anytime try score at $1.85, yeah. or should I be going for a Samasoni? Against Brumbies. the Brumbies. Brumbies, their strength is their more. Will they try their... What's the price difference? Exactly the same. Shooter. Show me the money. <laughs> Come on, shooter. Dollar eighty-five. Right, let's kick on. Let's kick on with Brendan. Brendan, what do you have? Well, I was going to go to the golf, but that's off the table. So I will go. Uh, will Warbrook to score a try? Yes. Uh, Don't mind against, it. Against the Tigers. 
Yep. Uh, Storm Tigers. Sorry, uh, it, is it? Is it? I think it's at Lighthart, is it? Or is it Campbelltown? It is in. Uh, it is a Tigers home game. Uh, but Will Warbrick. Good padding, Sammy. Dollar eighty-three. Yeah, that's not bad. That's, yeah. Sure, yeah, nice little tasty morsel for us there, Brennan. Thank you. Right now, Hamish. Hamish and feedback Matara. Yeah, Hamish in the PVC pipeland. How is it? <laughs> All right, pretty good. I was, I'm going with Steffi, but I'm actually going a different golfer, actually. No, you can't. Well, you, you, you can't, fella. You can't. We've already taken the golf, so you're going to have to pick something else. Oh, yeah? Uh, we'll go the rugby, but not the Chiefs game. We'll yep. go the other one. Good. Yep. We'll go the Blues to beat the Crusaders in Crosschurch. He did. And they're paying $4. Well, they're paying $2.30. Uh, $2.30. Yep. Yeah. Jesus, one hit to hit or 12 and under? Uh, we'll no. go head to head. All right. Yeah, that's I like that. So uh, those four legs to get. Oh, I'll just give you a little bit of a. Show me them. So those four legs to get a staff twenty five dollars and sixty nine cents. Uh, we throw our show me the money bonus bet on it, which is fifty buckaroos. It comes out at one thousand two hundred and thirty four dollars and seventy nine cents. Just over six hundred bucks each. Six hundred bucks a pop, split down the middle between the two great men from Matoto and Queenstown. Thanks for that, boys. Cheers, boys. Thank you very much. Go there you well. go. Right, we'll keep your eyes on that, Sammy. Yes. Do you follow that in? Uh, I might, actually. That's not a bad little sip, although I am a little bit nervous about the blues. I'm not. Aren't you? No. Okay. You know when they say, some, you know, not very often the Crusaders get beaten at home. Yes, sir. That's not never. Correct. Okay. Um, we've got another big... Prize up for grabs. What we after the break? We've what got a hundred thousand e cash. <gasps> yeah, I completely forgot chase it time. was chase day. Chase time. So uh, let's oil up whew. the phone lines and get them to come back. Please, please do. 0800-150-811. Helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Chase time, people. Chase time. Woo! And I tell you what, a lot of calls. Everyone keen on a slice of the pie, which is the 100,000 e-cash. Up for grabs. <laughs> um, and look, we got a big old wheel in here, Steph, that we're going to have to spin to find our caller. And uh, circling from one through ten, it lands on lucky number three, which is Dan from uh, Lower Hut. Dan. How you going? Very well. How's yep. your sporting knowledge? That was a good spin. <laughs> was a great spin. It's probably average plus. Average plus. Average is good plus. Enough. Okay, you're going to need a bit more than that, Dan, if you want to take out that hundred thousand e cash. Um, you, I need you to sleep from set A or set B on the questions, my friend. Um, well, that was go B on the telly. Let's go B. Oh, they do go B on the T. This man, he's done his research, Steph. I'm he's here to, to play. Shake of it. I'm he's here to, to play. Shake okay, Dan, you know how it works. 60 seconds on the clock. You've got 60 seconds to answer as many sporting questions as you can. If you pass on one, I'll move on straight away. If you get one wrong, I'll give you the right answer. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Your time will start in three, two, one. Who did the Brumbies beat in last week's Super Rugby quarterfinal? Hurricanes. Correct. And what year did the Kiwis win the Rugby League World Cup? 2016. 2008. Jack Grealish plays for which Premier League team? Man City. Correct. Who is the captain of the Australian cricket team for the upcoming Ashes? Oh, Jesus. 
easy. I'll go the bowler. Jeez, uh, what's his name? Pretty boy, long hair. Pass. Pat, uh, who, uh, who won last year's V8 Supercars Drivers Championship? Vingersberger. Correct. Who was the coach of the Denver Nuggets? Pass. Which international team did Graham Henry coach before the All Blacks? Pass. Correct. El Clasico was a football match between which two teams? Oh, Milan and uh, Inter Milan. Barcelona, Real Madrid. Yeah, Milan the mo- the Milan. most points scored by an individual in a single season for the Warriors was in 2002. Who was it? Uh, Ivan Cleary, Paul Pierce made his nah, there you go, the time is up and oh, Dan, you're going to be kicking yourself with Pat Cummins, the Australian Cummins. captain and you spent a lot of time on that my friend valuable time, I did. some would say so did. how many in the end staff you were counting? four, four. so the staffinator who's sitting in the chasing chair today and uh, was looking nervous, feeling a little bit more relaxed now, he's got four to catch he's smiling from ear to ear because he thinks he's got it in the bag, Dan, but don't go anywhere because if he gets one wrong, we do stop the clock. You get a chance to push him back. Steph, mm. are you ready oh, to go? Yeah. All right, we got uh, Bree, uh, Brad Lewis, B. Louie, Bluey in the uh, in the box today, running the uh, running the cutter on the Let's clock. Go. A lot of pressure for for Brad. We'll see if he uh, can can nail it. Steph, your time for the chase for the catch will start in three, two, one. When did the Chiefs last win the Super Rugby title? Correct. Which Warriors coach had the highest winning percentage in the NRL? Daniel Anderson. Correct. How many times have Man City won the Champions League? Once. Correct. Which famous cricketer had the nickname Churchy? Roger Religion. Stop the clock. (laughs) Which famous cricketer had the nickname Churchy? Dan? Roger Religious. That's outstanding. Um, (laughs) I'll go Patrick Vicker. That's not. You're that my is man. not correct. Uh, you'd think you, if you thought about it, it makes a lot of sense. Adam Gilchrist. Oh, Gilchrist. Gilchrist. Oh, he was nicknamed yeah. Churchy. Never heard that before. Okay, Steph, uh, you got one to catch. Your time will start again in three, two, one. What colour is the first ring in the Five Rings Olympic logo? Blue. That is correct. And just like that. Just like that, you've been chased down, Dan, with plenty, plenty of seconds left to, to play for Steph. He was on a tear today, unfortunately. And Brad did a good job. Good, mate. Good. <laughs> Get on you, buddy. Next time. Yeah, yeah next, next time. time. You call again. And uh, all those people who were on hold as well, we do it every Thursday. So just ring back. The 100,000 e-cash still up for grabs because, Steph, we're yet to give it away. Um, I think, I don't know. I was going to say... There are days when you're vulnerable. Mm. Today might have been one of those days. But today might have been yeah, one of those days. Yeah, but you got days. your confidence back very, very quickly. Mm. Um, okay, you did well. Man, you blitzed through Daniel Anderson, 2013. I knew Daniel. 2013, did it, go, it goes all those Crusaders, then it goes Highlanders, Hurricanes, going backwards. Highlanders, 16. Hurricanes, 15. 15. Waratahs, 14. Yep. Well Chiefs, done. Chiefs. Well done. Yeah. Hey, who won last year's US Golf Open? Matt Fitzpatrick. He's pretty good. He's pretty good, this fella. <laughs> He's pretty good. <laughs> oh, it's good times. <clears throat> I've got time for, I have got time just for a couple of text messages. Here's a question. I like both, but how's rugby league as in the club level? I guarantee they are struggling. Uh, they probably are in New Zealand. Um, they don't struggle in Australia. 
I know that. Rugby is a global game, unlike league, so change will be slow. The NRL can easily change because it's essentially a provincial code. I, I agree. When you change, NRL can have their own rules, so it's a lot easier to change than world rugby. Isn't there also, just going back to the club thing, isn't there a stat that came out even recently that New Zealand loses something like 600 kids a year to, to Australia, um, rugby league clubs and schools? It's amazing. To families moving over to Australia when they're 14, like Benji Marshall moving over when you're 14, 15 to go to high school over there to play rugby league mm. so that you know we don't have the club scene here but we're losing a lot of talent to, to Australia uh, one from Mori I'm 42 and I come from a rugby background I like both codes but if I'm honest I watch a heck of a lot more NRL than Super Rugby as a visual spectacle it is far more it is far better too much time wasted on scrums and also too many grey areas around rucks and malls where the NRL have done it really really well is they've simplified the rules so it's easy for Joe Public to understand so if you had a neutral never watch both and say watch a game of each which one do you connect with more? I feel like NRL's probably got it at the moment. They don't have the World Cups. They don't have the spread across the whole world. Um, they don't have the history of, of all of that. Rugby's got that ahead. And you know, I'm buoyed that both Rob Nickel, Mark Robinson, um, we saw a bit of the Blues CEO on, on the show last night. They're all receptive to change. That is the biggest step, that they're open to change and consultation. I'm looking forward to the future of... Future of um, rugby drug test staffy fit in the quiz please Irish John <laughs> we'll take a break we'll find out what happened back in the day you're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ here's what happened back, back in, in the, day. the day June 15 1935 the Ivy League Princeton University hosted the annual elite mile race during the 30s. Uh, New Zealand medical student Jack Lovelock, who'd set a world record there in 1933, was invited to return in 1935 and run in what became known as the Mile of the Century. Four minutes, 11 and a half seconds was the second fastest mile, but well outside the world record. Hundreds crowded around him. Someone stole his Panama hat, but later returned it. Insidious. 2011, Boston Bruins beat the Vancouver Canucks 4-0 in Game 7 in Vancouver, clinching the Stanley Cup. Birthdays today. Let's go, Bruins. Let's go, Bees. Let's go, Bees. <laughs> Oliver Kahn, former German goalkeeper, 53. David Lyons, the big mobile, number eight from the Wallabies. Uh, he turns 42. Uh, Staney Delaney, uh, he turns 40 today. Mike Delaney. And 37 years old, Jimmy Maloney. I love James Maloney. On the st- uh, that is rugby league. Rugby league. On this day in 1972, the number one movie was Shaft's Big Score. And Sammy Davis had the number one song. I really hope we get the sunshine. Who can make the sunshine? We haven't got time. Oh, come on. Here it is. Who can make the sunshine? Sprinkle it with you. The run home's next. Rigger. Cursed. Three to six. See you tomorrow.